Cohorting in Long-Term Care, a conversation with Pam Metter from the West Virginia Healthcare Association. Before we get started, I wanted to note that after the recording of this podcast, the CDC issued updated guidance on infection prevention and control recommendations to prevent COVID-19 spread in nursing homes. Specifically, the updated guidance recommends empiric use of transmission-based precautions for residents who are newly admitted to a facility and for residents who have had close contact with someone with COVID-19 infection if they're not up to date with all recommended COVID-19 vaccine doses. In general, quarantine is not needed for asymptomatic residents who are up to date with all COVID-19 vaccine doses or who have recovered from COVID-19 infection in the prior 90 days. Potential exceptions are described in the guidance. However, some of these residents should still be tested as described in the testing section of the guidance. For more details on this evolving information, please visit the CDC's website at cdc.gov. So on today's episode, we're talking with Pam Metter. Pam is the Director of Regulatory Services with the West Virginia Healthcare Association. Welcome, Pam, and thank you for joining us today to talk about the practice of cohorting amid the COVID-19 pandemic. First, um, can you tell me just a little bit about your background and why this subject is important to you? Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for joining and those who are joining live and those who will be watching later. Um, We appreciate you guys wanting to learn more about what needs to be done during this pandemic, although, you know, I'm sure it's getting kind of old and we'd like to talk about something else, but this is the, this is the what we got right now going on, so we got to talk about it again and again and again, and that right? So my name is Pam Metter, and I have been in long-term care since God was a child. Um, I started in, uh, well, after I did a, about a year in the hospital and then I went into long-term care and I thought it was just going to be a stepping stone into my next um, great, big, great thing. And when I walked into the facility, I absolutely fell in love with the people there, not just the residents, but the staff and everybody in long-term care. And I worked all the way up. Um, I worked in uh, the actual facility, boots on the ground, all the way up until 2010, when I took a job, and I was in every position you could think of, especially during emergencies, y'all know how it is, we're head bottle washers, and we're, you know, directors of nursing, and we're staff development, and we're housekeeping, and we're patient care, and we're everything in long-term care, especially during emergencies, but once I, in 2010, I went to work for this beautiful organization, I worked with the QIO, and I know what a valuable commodity they are and how much their help means to the facilities that are out there really just doing all the work. And this, this group that you all have is fantastic. So I worked with the QIO, and then I had an opportunity to come work with the West Virginia Healthcare Association in 2019. And it was before every, I mean, COVID was, was heard of, but it wasn't anything that we thought that it was going, it's turned out to be. So I come to work with the Healthcare Association and I love working hand in hand with the QIO still yet. So I've been in long-term care for a long time. I've been where you're at and I know how hard it is. So that's one of the things that we want to let you guys know that there is no question that you have that we we can't either answer, find the answer, 
or we can um, find somebody who does know the answer. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. So that's, that's my spill. It's important that we give the best care to our residents and our staff and um, cohorting is part of that. Yes. All right. Thanks. Um, and again, Pam, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We know that since the COVID-19 pandemic began, nursing homes and assisted living facilities have worked very hard to prevent the spread of the virus within their communities. What exactly does the term cohorting mean in terms of healthcare? Um, cohorting is something that we've done in long-term care for a very, very long time already. We cohort um, any infections to keep them from spreading. So cohorting means separating an individual or a condition or something to where it will not spread to others that do not have that condition or that virus or that whatever it is, bacteria or whatever. So we've been doing this for a very long time in long-term care anyway. We cohort MRSA patients or the, the methicillin resistant staff, it, all the MVRs, we, you know, C. diff, which means if you've got MRSA, you go, you can't go with anybody that doesn't have MRSA that are susceptible to it. So we, we kind of group these people together. And in relationship to COVID, that's one of the first things that we did as a industry was determined that we needed to just keep those that are COVID positive in a, in a group. Um, that way, that person that's immunocompromised or that person that doesn't have the virus um, would be less likely to, to get it if we separated these folks out. So, you know, that's the definition of cohorting. And again, it's not anything new for long-term care. And it's something that I think in these past few couple of years, the hospitals have learned a lot about. Um, they, they, they had to cohort some because of quarantine, but they mostly put them in private rooms when they had somebody to cohort. Now they're realizing what we have to look at and deal with uh, because you can't put a positive COVID patient with somebody that's, that doesn't have the, the condition. So they're understanding a lot. There's a lot more understanding about what, how long-term care approaches infection control, um, which if, there, if you want to say it's a positive thing that's come out of COVID, we'll, we'll say it's a positive thing because that's, you know, it's what we look for is the positives in things. So that's what cohorting is, long answer. <laughs> All right, <Always>. thank, <laughs> thank you. Um, so another definition set that has caused some confusion and is associated with cohorting is quarantine and isolation. Can you shed some light on, on those definitions? Sure. Um, that was something in the beginning they didn't know themselves. They weren't, people weren't, um, they weren't separating what quarantine is and what isolation is. Uh, basically, we, we know what isolation is. It's when you put somebody in by themselves so that they're not spreading that condition. And with COVID, in relationship to COVID, when someone is in isolation, they're COVID positive. And that's the, that's the definition of transmission-based precautions. They're in isolation for being COVID positive. Now, quarantine means there's a potential that they have COVID and they are placed in quarantine 
but they're still in transmission-based precautions. It's still, they're both transmission-based precautions. You still have to treat them as if they are positive and you still have to use standard precautions and you have to use the, the droplet precautions, but they are in transmission-based precautions, but in quarantine, they potentially could have COVID and that's why they're, they are in precautions. That's the difference. Okay. Um, now, and you had mentioned this in the, just a few minutes ago as well, but long-term care has utilized cohorting as an infection control guideline for a very long time. Um, how has the COVID-19 pandemic changed this practice? Um, before with the other cohorting that we've done, we've never had to, um, we've never had to look at the layout of our facility. We've never had to, you know, if somebody had MRSA, we'd place them in contact or we'd place them in transmission-based precautions. We'd place them in isolation and it could be anywhere in the facility, preferably a private room and preferably with, um, with, uh, somewhere that we could don and doff our, our, our garb without any issues. But with COVID, the guidelines indicate that we have to have separated units within our facilities. Um, they, used to, they used to separate them by colors, like a red unit was your COVID unit, yellow unit was your quarantine unit, the potential unit, and then your green unit was general population but they've moved kind of away from the, um, the color coding, mainly because, you know, um, outbreaks after Delta, or, you know, after Delta outbreaks kind of went down majorly, but then here comes old, uh, um, oh, what is it? Uh, what's the, what is it? Oh my gosh. All I can think of is quarantine. Omicron. What's the news? Quant Omicron, thank you. Um, here comes Omicron and everything shoots up. So we've had to kind of dust off our playbooks for our, our cohorting. And we've had to, um, we've had to kind of move our facilities back into that where there's cohorting sections. We've have to have a red unit. We have to have a COVID positive unit. Um, only people that go in there are your COVID positives. Doesn't I mean, if they're not COVID positive, they're not in that unit. You don't quarantine people in that unit. You isolate people in that unit. So there's, there's that definition in use right there. So that's what COVID has done. It's caused us to redo our facilities layout and structures. Okay. Um, and what criteria does a resident need to meet in order to be placed in a COVID positive unit? They have to be COVID positive, and that's just the end story. If they're um, if if they're not COVID positive, and that could be antigen or PCR, depending on what kind of test you've done. If they're COVID positive, they get moved into the isolation unit. Um, one thing about the isolation unit is, and or not just one thing, but there's several things about the the quarantine unit itself. You know, you you need to have a dedicated staff for that unit. And that makes it a little difficult. Um, dedicated housekeeping, dedicated nursing staff, dedicated all of these things. And one of the big questions, and I'm not sure if I'm, you know, going ahead, which I, I'm so bad to do if there's other questions that kind of moves into it. But if, um, 
if you only have, let's say you have one person that's caught COVID positive in your facility, you have to have that person on a COVID positive unit, but yet dedicated staff for one person is a little bit difficult. So there's some, there's some juggling that you have to do. And there's some different things that you have to take into account when you are looking at, it's different if you have 10 people, you know, if you have 10 COVID positive residents and they're all on that unit, you could do a staffing ratios based on that. But if you've got one or two people on a COVID positive unit to give them dedicated staffing, kind of difficult. But, you know, our facilities are tough and they, they, they figure it out. They figure out what needs to be done. And the guidelines provide for different situations um, that you can review and kind of talk about and look at. So uh, it's, it's, um, it's a difficult thing to do, but it's something that, that cohorting is definitely necessary. Okay, um, Pam, what other guidance is out there about um, how you can run an effective COVID positive unit? Um, you know, that's one thing about the CDC guidance is it's not just in one place because CDC guidance and all of this is for everybody. It's not just for nursing home, hospitals, dialysis units, physicians offices, schools, it's for everybody. So to be able to find the guidelines and to be able to find the, the stuff you need is, is difficult. To wade through all of this information and find specifically what you're looking for, is di it's difficult to do. Um, for example, and I'm sure they're going to be, there's lots of links that, they, that the QIO sends out to facilities um, and lots of resources, but you know, when you're looking at the CDC, there's two main resources and guidelines that you need to be aware of. One of them is general infection control guidelines for COVID. And it's, it's, it's the first link and it's the main infection control um, guidelines for all healthcare facilities. And if you read down through there, there's tons of information, tons of stuff. And then you get at the very bottom, it breaks out into the various um, uh, specialties. Like you can click on something for dialysis and you can click on something for emergency room and you can click on something for long-term care. So that's the addendum. There's a long-term care addendum that is very specific to long-term care. It has all of the information for, for example, um, transmission-based precautions uh, and when to remove folks from those precautions or when it is, it's acceptable to um, quarantine or how long you need to quarantine in long-term care. What about new admissions? What about um, people who are roommates of those who are positives? What do we do with all of these people? And that's located within that addendum. Um, it's very difficult, like on these webinars, you, you can't go through all of these, um, you could go through all of these special, you know, situations, but you'll never remember. I don't, I don't even try to remember it because it could change every day. And number, number two, um, if you try to remember everything, you're not, you're not going to get it right. So I, I always suggest that folks go to the QSO memo, which is about visitation. And I'm sure they'll include these in the links. You go to that QSO memo and you, you click on the links that is, that are provided. And the reason I tell people to go through the QSO memo is because, you know, we have to, as long-term care, 
we have to follow those memos. That's our regulations. Those are our, that's what guides us and tells us per this QSO memo, this is what we have to do. So if you click on that link and it takes you to the CDC guidance and this CDC guidance says, um, you know, 10 days quarantine for an asymptomatic, uh, not quarantine, 10 days isolation for a positive COVID resident that's asymptomatic, then you know that's what you're supposed to do because it comes from our regulations. It's not just the CDC guidance, it's something that come out of CMS regulations and into the guidance. Now, it's different states, and I know this is both for Pennsylvania and West Virginia. I am more familiar with West Virginia, and I know, um, I know they're pretty similar, but sometimes your state have different guidances than what your federal. And if it's more, if it's more stringent, you have to go through your, you have to follow your state guidance um, for whatever it is. If it's less stringent, the federal government, the federal guidance takes precedence. Um, so there's, there's the state guidance, there's your CDC guidance, there's your QSO memos. I do not want to hesitate to mention the QIO. If you guys have questions, um, if you've not watched the visitation um, podcast from last week, it was phenomenal. Um, all of these podcasts are just so helpful. And no matter how much you think you know about this stuff, um, you'll always learn something new listening to somebody else talk about it. I promise you. It's not, it's, you know, I, I've been, had my little fingers in this pudding the entire time and I'm constantly learning more. Oh, geez, you mean that if there's a severe outbreak within a facility and um, they can't get it controlled, they can do different, this, this differently than what the guidance says? I had no, I did not know that until like last week when somebody brought it up to me, you know, that they were having difficulty controlling their outbreak, even with their cohorting and everything that they were doing, they were having difficulty controlling the outbreak. So there was a section in the guidance that said, you may go a little bit above and beyond with the help of your local health department. And I wasn't aware of that. So just, you know, more education you get, the better off you are. All right, and, and Pam, you mentioned CDC guidance. Um, what specific CDC guidance is out there that can help direct people as far as cohorting is concerned? Do you have some, some tips for sure, that? Sure, sure. Outside of those two that I just mentioned, the main guidance and the addendum, there are, um, there's, there's links to OSHA. There's OSHA guidance that you could look at and, and review and tell you about um, how, what they expect you to do with N95s in your units that are cohorted that your COVID-19 units. Um, there are different, um, uh, there's different flow charts and different things that are out there that tell you exactly if this, then that. Um, those different guidances can help you to um, uh, make sure that you're on top of everything. But you've got to be very careful because a lot of that guidance if you look at the date, if it's not current, and if it says updated, you know, 2020, you need to make sure that's the most recent guidance because lots of stuff have changed. Like, for example, one of the biggest questions I get is with um, folks who are uh, 
allowing visitors back into their building. One of the biggest questions is age. You know, they ask about can can kids come onto the COVID units um, and or can they even come into the facility at all? And at the beginning, they did have some guidance as far as 12, year, 12 years and younger not being able to come in. But in West Virginia, now, if, if it's a state guidance, it's different. You need to make sure. But there is no, there's, that's not out there anymore. There is no age limitation anymore for visitation, even on the COVID units. So, um, you know, you have, if you're looking at all of this different guidance, and you also have to look at the source. If you're going through, C, you can go through CDC, which is what our government, our CMS and everybody looks to. There's WHO, the World Health Organization. There's um, APIC. If you guys are familiar with APIC um, and help me out, I think it's Advanced Practitioners and in Infection Control. Is that right, Sheila? Look it up for me, make sure I'm right. Um, there's Shay. There's all of these other people that are um, experts on infection control, and you can look at their guidance and trust it. Um, but is that right? Did you look? APIC? Yeah, I'm looking, and I believe it is Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology. Well, they need to change that because I like my. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, there's, if you have information from all of those, you've got good information. It's, it, it's researched, it's, um, you know, scientifically proven. You've got to be careful reading some of the, you know, um, getting some of the information from news sources because they don't know the whole details. Um, so if you're getting information from a long-term, from, from a, from a, a well-respected source, you just got to make sure that it falls in line with CMS. That's how come I always say go to your QSOs and click the links that are available there. All right. Um, and Pam, before we go, how long should a resident stay in transmission-based precautions? Um, <laughs> that, is a, that is a loaded question because it kind of depends on vaccination status. It depends on symptoms. It depends on whether or not the resident is immunocompromised. It's just, um, there's, a, there's a lot of different, and I could sit here, we, we would be here for hours going over all the if this, then that. Um, that's why it's important facilities and people know, and infection preventionists know how to utilize the guidelines. You've got to know how to read a part of it. And when it says, um, when it says this resident, for example, you've got a resident who is not um, who who is not severely compromised and they're COVID positive. Um, you you've got to be able to read it and know that they they can be released from transmission but place precaution after ten days and and when their fever they had no longer have a fever with. Um, not using like aspirin or acetaminophen or whatever, fever reducing items. And if their symptoms are getting better. So, you know, there's and, and, and. Whereas if you have a positive resident that's just um, asymptomatic, have been asymptomatic, they can just be released after 10 days. There's no ands or and ands. Um, if you have a resident 
that has had close contact with somebody. And, you know, in our state, they don't have to be, in our state, they don't have to be, um, they don't have to be quarantined at all if they're vaccinated. They can go in, they can come into a facility in general population if they're vaccinated um, and not be in any kind of quarantine. Um, however, other states, uh, they come in uh, and they're seven day quarantines. Just kind of, it just depends on the resident. It depends on the situation uh, for the resident and it depends on your state guidance. So all this stuff is very difficult to manage. And that's why you need to have somebody out there that can help you do this. Like if you have a question, don't ever hesitate to reach out to somebody who can be a second set of eyeballs for you. All right, um, Pam, I just wanna thank you for taking time to provide your insight for us today. Um, I'll go ahead and put your contact information out there, but do you have anything that you'd like to say uh, before we go into other questions? No, I know there's a lot of this, you know, a lot of this stuff is, is old news to a lot of you guys, but a lot of it is just, you need to hear it over and over again in order to make sure that it's, um, that it's there for you to reach into your well. <laughs> um, I, I can't, Thank you guys enough for listening. And again, if you have any questions, comments, snide remarks, you send them to Mitzi. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that, Pam. <laughs> I, I know where to get a hold of you. So I that's fine. <laughs> Well, um, so if, if you want to reach out to Pam directly, you could call or text her at 304-573-6776. And you can also contact her through email at p-m-e-a-d-o-r at wvhca.org. And I'll put that down below also. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to all of you guys that are out there um, listening and watching. You can check out our other interviews by visiting our website at www.qualityinsights.org forward slash QIN underscore vlogs and pods.